anyway, I, what are you excited about? What am I excited about? Tell me, tell me. I know there is a thing. I, I thought of it. Fuck. It's, it's, um, what's, ha- I mean, are there movies coming out the year? Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Uh, we have to go into this with a breath. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to your weekly edition of Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. This is a podcast where we talk about ladies and feminine inclined folks throughout history. Um, one, uh, one lady a week, usually, who we think you should know about because we want to fucking talk about. And obviously not safe for work. Fuck, 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 abound. Lots of fucks. Because we give lots of fucks. That's right. And that's Deanna. That's Hannah. Thank you. Our names are the same in the name game. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> so don't get it confused. Uh, or do. Whatever. Yeah. Whichever. Um, so we're going to talk talk to you about a lady this week, but I wanted to start with this intro <laughs> article that just recently cropped up. It's not new, but it, it uh, connects to our... Um, Halloween episode that we did last year oh. about witches and the Maleficaris Malefactum or whatever. Oh, yeah, the book. Yeah, that- the book that they used in the, the the witch trials to identify witches and things. Oh, my God. So this is, uh, it's from Broadly on Vice. It's from 2016, but it just recently popped up in my feed somewhere. And I was like, what? We got to talk about this. <laughs> and so this article by Callie Bozeman is... Witches allegedly stole penises and kept them as pets in the Middle Ages. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is in the Maleficus Malefic- Maleficarum. Oh, my yeah. God. According to a 15th century guide to detecting and eradicating witchcraft, witches were capable of making penises vanish, and some even kept them in nests and fed them oats. Men, what <laughs> is wrong with you? <laughs> this is the shit you come up with? Oh, my God. No wonder they were so terrified of witches. No well, fucking wonder. It wasn't I mean, the devil. All, it was the penises. No, it's always about the penises. Oh, it's, it's about impotency and feeling like your penis gives you some sort of power as a man. Of course. Oh and I love this picture that comes with it. It's a naked woman on a broom. Oh. She looks awesome. Um... Since time immemorial, men have worried irrationally about perceived threats to their penises. (laughs) Long before there was castration anxiety, there was something far more sinister. The myth of phallus-stealing witches who kept wriggling dismembered pets or members as pets. Oh, my God. The best known description of this practice occurs in the Malleus Maleficarum. Uh, Historians typically regard it as a ludicrous and misogynistic text that nonetheless resulted in countless vicious murders of women accused of witchcraft, as you probably remember from our Halloween episode. Yep. Um, In the Salem Witch Trials reader, Francis Hill describes it as one of the most terrifying and obnoxious books ever written. Uh, It's rife with obvious anxieties about female sexual desire. Um, as folklorist Maura Smith notes in her paper, penis theft in the Malleus Maleficarium. She wrote a paper called Penis Theft penis in the Malleus theft. Maleficarium. <laughs> 
Many of the crimes. Oh, my God. Maleficia attributed to witches concerned sexuality, copulation with incubus devils, procuring abortions, causing sterility and stillbirth, and impeding sexual relations between husbands and wives. In the Middle Ages, witches were thought to have various magical dick-ruining capabilities, <laughs> the most sinister of which is the ability to make the sex organ vanish entirely. According wow. to Smith, <laughs> D- oh. the, the Malleus Maleficarum details three specific case studies case studies okay in which witches were said to have magically deprived men of their penises no wonder they were so freaked out magically they don't cut them off it's a spell no they wake up and their penis and is their penis just gone. gone oh no the first two cases simply involve men having their genitals hidden by some magical illusion oh my god like a fucking scavenger hunt. Uh-huh. <laughs> the third account penis. notoriously mentions the phenomenon of witches keeping disembodied penises as pets and feeding them oats and other nutritious grains. Can you imagine just like wriggling little penises? You've brought the penis to life and now it eats oats and grains and well, follows you around like a pet? It. Oh my it God. It says, quote, what shall we think about those witches who somehow take members in large numbers, 20 or 30, and shut them up together in a bird's nest or some box where they move about like living members eating oats or other feed? This has been seen by many and is a matter of common talk. It is said that it is all done by devil's work and illusion, for the senses of those who see the penises are deluded in the ways that we have said. Could you imagine if every day was Halloween? That's just how you live your life. Every day is a potential horror movie. <laughs> I mean. Like, am I going to get uh, magically lose my dick today? <laughs> Kramer goes on to describe one man's quest to restore his missing member. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. By his account, the poor castrated fellow, quote, approached a certain witch who instructed him to, quote, climb a particular tree <laughs> where there was a nest containing many members and he was allowed to take anyone he liked. Oh, my God. He was unfortunately rebuffed after trying to pick a particularly large one <laughs> because it apparently belonged to a parish priest. <laughs> he didn't want his dick back. He wanted to upgrade oh from, my God. from the dick tree. This is why it was taken from you in the first place, dude. <laughs> Gonad bearing flora were not uncommon. <laughs> In the Middle Ages. <laughs> Between the end of the 13th century and early 16th century, the phallus tree was quite a phenomenon. <laughs> Penis trees flourished oh throughout Europe, according to his research. Penis trees A 14th century flourish. French manuscript contains two images of nuns harvesting penises from trees and tucking them into their robes. <laughs> Oh, my God. A wood carving from the early 15th century currently kept at a museum in Germany depicts a woman casually plucking penises while her lover peruses a vulva tree. (laughs) What? What were they on? Oh, bread mold. I forgot. And a decorative badge found in the Netherlands shows a couple making love under a phallus tree, possibly being watched by a voyeur. If they were so easy to come by, why were they so mad about all these witches taking their penises? Who knows? If you could just pick one off of a tree. A phallus tree. (laughs) In 2000, archaeologists uncovered a particularly impressive penis tree specimen. Oh my a God. massive mural from the 13th century located in Tuscany. It depicts a tree covered in male sex organs. It is indeed a phallus tree, all of which were disproportionately large and clearly in an aroused state. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Men have always been obsessed with their dicks. I mean, what uh, else would you be obsessed by with? By the noble plant's roots stand eight women, two of whom appear to be fighting over a penis, and one of whom who is trying to knock one off a branch using a stick. Oh my god. Beside them is another woman who appears to be mostly uninvolved, but who, upon closer inspection, has one of the fruits of the tree protruding from her bottom. (laughs) She just... (laughs) I'm so innocent. What's that sticking out of your ass, honey? Oh, my God. What is this fucking nonsense? Oh, George Furzoko, the director for the Center of Tuscan Studies, has argued that this mural constitutes the earliest depiction in art of women acting as witches, which I don't know what about this is them acting as witches. I do not know. I I, I don't know. Keeping penises captive in nests. (laughs) Jesus Christ. In the Malleus Maleficarum, Kramer writes, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust which in women is insatiable. In its purest Uh, essence, the penis tree and its association with endlessly lascivious witches raises a compelling question. If dicks grew on trees, would anyone need men? Oh, my God. I just, I was like, what? As soon as I got to, they have, oh, do you want to see the picture? I don't know if I do. (laughs) The the 1200s dick tree. Oh, God. It looks like a particularly innocent photo at first. And then you zoom in. <laughs> They're fighting over one. She's trying to get one, and she's got one coming out of her ass. And I don't know what's going on over here, but it's just like, oh my god, a dick tree. Dicks as big as birds. And they're all hard. Oh my god. All of them, and they're all huge. Oh god. These are the people who denied us the right to vote. Jesus Christ. I mean, we were stealing dicks. We were trees. stealing dicks. We deserved it. We couldn't what about couldn't that, be trusted. What about that vulva tree? Though? Yeah, that's the one I that's want. I want to know who was stealing vulvas. I mean, that's some creepy ass shit. That's truly creepy. That's truly creepy. Because you have to like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's some like serial killer kind of awfulness. Like men can live without their dicks. I'm sorry, men, but you can. But to get a lady's vulva. I mean, you just kind of have to How do you... have the whole front. Like, what exists there if the vulva's gone? Yeah, I don't know. I guess what exists there when a penis is cut off, too, but... <laughs> I don't want to think about that anymore. Anyway. Oh, no, let's not. <laughs> that was insanity, and I will never be the same again. And it was something we didn't uh, find in time to put on our Halloween episode, but seems really appropriate for <sighs> mentioning <laughs> witches steal dicks. I mean, it's so, there are so many layers to that. Uh-huh. So I just, I can, I, I want to know what a therapist would say about. Like a modern day therapist yeah. who goes back and sees the artist drawing a dick tree and being like, hmm. Although granted, depending on the age, like all boys draw penises and they're fucking doodles. Sure. But how many of them are afraid witches are going to steal them in their sleep? Or that's what I want to sleep. Who knows? I want to know about their mental state. Because they're the ones who fucking ran the world for, you know. But women are too emotional and volatile. Yeah, you know. It's it's our problem. It's our cross to bear. Girl. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? 
Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Who are you going to tell me about this week? Bizarre. Oh what God. are we doing? All right. Well, we're going to pivot a little bit. Pivot. And it's still February, so we are still in Black History Month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to talk about somebody I had never heard of before now, and I'm Ooh. I'm so sad that I didn't, but now obviously I'm happy I know who she is. And um, yeah, her name is Georgia Gilmore. Okay. And I'm going to start with a little, a little quote, a little paragraph here from... Um, heroinecollective.com. I got most of my information from Atlas Obscura and Wikipedia and the Heroin Collective. Sweet. So, if you have spent any time at all studying the American Civil Rights Movement, you've likely heard about Rosa Parks, the African-American woman who was arrested in Montgomery, Alabama, after she refused to give up her seat on the bus. And I'm certain you've also heard of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the revolutionary civil rights activist who led the Montgomery bus boycott that followed her arrest. You have likely not heard, however, about Georgia Gilmore, the midwife, cook, nurse, and restaurant owner who helped make that groundbreaking boycott possible. Ah. And I didn't really know the details about the Montgomery bus boycott either. So this gives a little bit more information into that as well. Let's dive in. Georgia Gilmore was a large, gutsy woman who had little tolerance for racial bigotry. Sounds like we should be friends. <laughs> yeah. Everybody could tell you Georgia Gilmore didn't take no junk, said Reverend Al Dixon. <laughs> if you pushed her too far, she'd say a few bad words. And if you pushed her any further, she would hit you. Oh, <laughs> shit. Um, she's a cook, so she's got knives. Yeah. Maybe you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and she was pissed. Like, so at the time of Rosa Parks, Gilmore was actually already in the middle of her own bus boycott because two months before Rosa Parks' arrest, a white bus driver had accepted Georgia's fare and then berated her for entering through the front door of the bus and forced her to get off the bus and drove away. Wait, what? He took her fare told her not to use the front door of the bus and when she was like why he made her get off the bus and left her stranded on the sidewalk what was she supposed to get in the back door but then how's she supposed to pay she i have no idea cool 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 you pay and then and then you leave and then you go in the back door i guess i don't know so she actually i yeah i mean i have no fucking idea he was an asshole he stole her money and left her there great um, and as a result of that, she took him to court. She was like, fuck you. Uh, yeah, this nice. this is not OK. And I don't actually know if she like I don't know what the result of that was other than she lost her job. 
the the restaurant she'd been working at which was a white segregated segregated restaurant saw what she did like saw that taking him to court as an act of defiance that they didn't think was okay and they didn't so, want to be associated mm-hmm. with and so they fired her and like oh do you support this kind of behavior from your employees right standing up for themselves <laughs> yeah basically not laying down and and getting stepped all over yep and um, oh you you do no 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 we don't we don't we don't bye that was recreation for you. dramatization Oh, okay. Thank you. That was very, it was good. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so she was already very anti-bus and had been finding ways to not um, not take it. Uh-huh. So when after Rosa Parks was arrested uh, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made his very first speech as a legit civil rights leader, um, encouraging a full-on bus boycott in Montgomery, Georgia was there. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this. Like, I'm, I'm fucking down. But she didn't have her job anymore. So it was a little hard to justify. Like, you couldn't pay for gas. You couldn't pay mm, for, mm, you know, mm. all of the things associated with not taking the bus. Right. And so Martin Luther King Jr. actually encouraged her to open her own restaurant in her home. What? Yeah. And so, so because she was such a fucking great cook and... She did that. So out of that conversation, Georgia House was born. And it was an informal restaurant run out of her home that also served as a clubhouse um, for Dr. King and various people he wanted to meet there. And every morning, she she woke up around (coughs) 3 or 4 a.m. to prepare lunch. Oh, my God. Her menu changed every day, but always included an assortment of, like, serious southern food, ham hocks, Stuffed pork chops, potato salad, collard greens, candied yams, bread pudding, and black-eyed peas. <laughs> Most of that sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and, and everybody who has a quote about her at some point, like in any of the articles I read, were all just like, yeah, she was a fucking badass cook. Like, there was no beating her cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hungry now. Yeah, I know. By noon, her house was crowded with customers who often waited an hour or more for their turn to order. I would not want that many people in my house. About a dozen people could squeeze around her dining room table, and everyone else ate standing up in her living room or kitchen. No way. <laughs> yeah. And you'd still wait an hour just to stand uh-huh. and eat? Yep. Uh, she was known for being a warm and welcoming host. Um, she was sort of seen as a mother figure, recalls Pastor Jordan, who Aww. ate at her house regularly. Taking care of her babies. Taking care of her babies. Her civil rights babies. I love that. She had a concern and maternal care for the individuals coming in and out of her home. The atmosphere of her home allowed people to come in and relax, even if they were strangers. Um, so everyone yeah, was can welcome. Can you imagine? No, I can't. That's insane. And also just, like, it was at a time where you could run a restaurant out of your house and and her circle of 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 you know the people who were coming her customers basically we're not going to go tattle on her no to anybody no so it was fucking great it worked out really well for her um and everyone was welcome her living room and kitchen were a microcosm of what integration should look like explains pastor jordan no way it was crowded all the time with college students government workers military professionals and non-professionals no fucking way even governor wallace the man who had previously proclaimed segregation now segregation tomorrow and segregation forever later ate at george gilmore's house 
and she called him Govs. <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Fairly, she had like nicknames for everybody. She used to call Dr. Martin Luther King a heifer. And <laughs> oh, she, yeah, she was like, hey, heifer. And uh, she called other people whores. It was just like, I want her to call me a whore. <laughs> I know. Everybody did. They were like, yes, do I have a nickname? A fucking yeah, whore. terrible nickname? Like, okay. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you got me pegged, Georgia. Hi, Mom. yeah um so when dr king had important meetings scheduled with other activists or politicians georgia's was his go-to place all right yeah because he could trust both the quality of the food and the discretion eventually everyone from morris d's d-e-e-s who was with the southern poverty poverty law center to robert kennedy been around for a long time yeah wow um to robert kennedy had eaten at georgia's house on king's invitation So even after the white-owned restaurants were desegregated, Dr. King always headed straight to her place whenever he was back in town. Um, In between parenting her six children and juggling two jobs, she single-handedly operated uh, her restaurant and the grassroots fundraising campaign that she started to support the budding bus boycott um, and, you know, civil rights movement Mm -hmm. that kind of started there. so she didn't just feed the organizers of the boycott. She also helped fund it. The bus boycott ran for just over a year. Um, so 300... She helped fund it with money from her home restaurant? I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. Um, so uh, 381 days this bus boycott went, and finding alternate means of transportation for all of those people cost money. There were repairs that needed to be made. There were vehicles that needed to be purchased. Gas needed to be purchased. And Georgia helped make sure that there was always money in the coffers when they needed it. And she did that by founding the Club from Nowhere. The name uh, was chosen on the basis that if questioned about the origins of the money, activists could truthfully say that it came from nowhere. Whoa. (laughs) I fucking love that. That's next level. The club began with Georgia and several other women scrounging up what little... Uh, they had in order to buy $14 worth of chicken, bread, and lettuce so they could make and sell sandwiches at an upcoming rally. The sandwiches were a hit, which enabled them to expand until they were selling pound cakes, sweet potato pies, and plates of fried fish and stewed greens in local laundromats and beauty salons. Oh my god, I'm getting so hungry. (laughs) Sorry. More than half of the city's black female workers were employed by white families. So Gilmore's group provided an opportunity. So the club from nowhere provided an opportunity for them to contribute without jeopardizing their jobs. Yeah, she that was super important to her that like that they not get in trouble with their employers, even though their employers were pieces of shit. And yeah, you can still help the cause and not jeopardize your income. Yeah, exactly. Um, And soon they were bringing in roughly 100 to 200 dollars a week, which would be equivalent to more than a thousand dollars each week today. Whoa. Can you believe that? Sandwiches? From selling, uh, what did I say? Sweet, Sweet potato, potato pies, pies plates of fried fish, fish <laughs> and pound cakes. Um, yeah. So Georgia Gilmore is believed to have raised more money for the boycott than any other person in Montgomery. Holy shit. And for 381 straight days, hundreds of cars, trucks, and wagons transported protesters between 42 pickup and drop-off locations across the city. 
<laughs> I know. It's mind bo- it's mind blowing. It really fucking is. Um the the level of organization that that kind of protest needs to have for that long. Mhm. It's it's insane. And she funded most of it. She funded the majority of it. And yeah. fed people at the same time. Mm-hmm. And she gave Martin Luther King a space to go and discuss other things, like other rallies and other mm-hmm. activities mm-hmm. that they were going to participate in and, you know, get the word out. Yeah. Um, so those 381 days were pivotal for the movement and ultimately led to Montgomery agreeing to integrate public transportation. And this obviously would not have been possible without the money Georgia raised to keep the carpool going for over right. a year. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It's so fucking cool. And she's such a good, like, nurturer. I know. She's she, just like. <sighs> she's like the ultimate mama. You're going to you're Take gonna no this. shit. <laughs> so Take care of you. Her activism and support of the movement didn't end there. It continued right up until the day she died. On the morning of her death, Georgia was up making mac and cheese and chicken for those marching in honor of the 25th anniversary of the March from Selma. And the food she made that day, the day she died, was used to feed those who came to mourn her. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? I think she died in 1990, I believe. Um, I somehow didn't get the date in there, but shh. Yeah. Yeah. She made the food for her own weight. <laughs> you believe that? And that was like the ultimate way for them to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. I just, I love that so Because much. food is a very important thing. It, it. In, in a mourning period. Yeah. And it was her, I mean, without her food, how would they have, how would they have boycotted the bus system for food, that long? Uh, f- it's like she she did two things at once. I mean, she did more than that. But I mean, like with the food specifically, yeah. you're feeding the people that you're supporting and also raising money at the same time. Yep. It's she so was smart. incredible. Yeah. I know she was so smart. She was an entrepreneur. She was the backbone, really. She was the fucking backbone of the bus boycott. Yep. Yep. Which really was was a launch pad for the civil rights movement. Yeah. So George Gilmore, I had no idea, but but she was in integral. I know it's she's incredible. So that's that. That's Georgia Gilmore. Oh my God, I feel so inspired and hungry. <laughs> I, know. I want collard greens really oh bad. Oh my God. Well, okay. Let me give you some on this day in history, and then we can go find some collard greens. On this day in history. What's the day? February twentieth. Got it. Um. This one is interesting. I did a little bit more research into it, so I have a a paragraph about it. But in 1869, Tennessee Governor W.C. Brownlow declares martial law in Ku Klux Klan crisis. Yeah. Whoa. That headline was like, what? How? how?" Record scratch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I had never heard of this, and so I looked into it a little bit. But apparently... After the KKK was founded in 1866, it was originally just like a secret society. Like that was the whole point was it was just supposed to be, a, you know, a cheeky secret society, which is why they have all the fucking bullshit like, you know, passwords and handshakes and dumb costumes. They became, shock of shocks, violent towards black people 
And uh, <laughs> that became kind of their fundamental mission. I know. Who knew? Yeah. If you just secretly hate people, eventually that's going to bubble over and you're going to fucking try and hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more. Um, there was a lot more information about it there, but I just didn't. I didn't have a ton of like time or bandwidth to go into it. So basically they went on a fucking rampage. Like they went on a murderous rampage. What year? 1868 is when they went on this rampage to 1868 to 1869. What? They were founded in 1866. Yeah. Um, and Didn't so, take long. No. Yeah. Not at all. And Governor Brownlow employed a private detective to infiltrate the Klan and gather names. And when Good. that, yeah, well, when that detective was found in the river with a bullet in his head, <sighs> the governor declared martial law. In Tennessee. Can you believe that? I've never I've never heard of martial law being declared anywhere in the U.S., but there it is. 1869. However, three days later, he resigned and took a seat in the Senate. He was, like, voted into the fucking Senate. And apparently the Klan leader at the time, I can't remember his name, decided that the Klan had served their purpose. Oh, my God. And ordered everyone to burn their robes, which they did. And it, it was only 50 years later at the budding of the civil rights movement that they took up the robes again. They refounded themselves and what? they were like, okay, we've got, we've got to come back to this, I guess. Anyway. God. F- baffling. Um, <clears throat> 1895. Wow. Congress authorizes a U.S. mint in Denver, Colorado. 1933. U.S. House of Representatives completes congressional action to repeal prohibition. 33? 33. 1933. Wait. U.S. House of Representatives. I mean, I think that I think that it had been kind of deadish for a couple of years. Like, I don't think anyone was necessarily, you know, going crazy about it the way they were. But, yeah, 1933 was That's when it was wild. officially repealed. You might remember this, but I don't remember anything about this from world history. Okay. 1938, Adolf Hitler announces his support for Japan during the Sino, S-I-N-O, dash Japanese war. Sino-Japanese war. Does that ring a bell for you? Okay. So that was a war between Japan and China, which was fought primarily over influence in Korea. I had no idea. But that explains so much about why Japan was on the side of the fucking Nazis in World War II, because they owed them. Mm. Can you? I had no clue. But I mean, yeah, that's that's so crazy. So anyway. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I know. A little bit of little bit of shit there for you. 1939, the American pro-Nazi organization German American Bund hold a rally at Madison Square Garden and 20,000 people attend. Thumbs up. Yeah. I wanted to include that one because, like, Nazis have always been here. Obviously. I mean, you talk about the KKK. Like, that's the same shit. It's about Mm -hmm. racial purity Mm -hmm. and being threatened by the unknown. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But specifically, other races. Which... I know. Like, <laughs> sorry, tribalism, yes, is kind of inherent in human DNA. That's just, but, but, but 
making it about race is is literally nonsensical to me. I know. And I know I come from a place of privilege when I say that. But like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. what, be, be, Depeche Mode said it. People are people. So what should it be? <laughs> like, come the fuck on. Boom. 1952. African Queen. Uh, a film directed by John Huston starring Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn is released in the U.S. 1952, the first black umpire in organized baseball is certified. Emmett Ashford. 1959, Jimi Hendrix at oh, 16, yeah. rock and roll guitarist, plays his first gig in the Temple de Hirsch Synagogue basement in Seattle. Uh, he is fired from the band after the first set due to quote wild playing well that's <laughs> not a surprise i love it so I much i love Jimi hendrix i know um this is my last one uh because it's very on brand for me 1962 john glenn becomes the first american to orbit earth Aww. aboard the friendship seven I know, Friendship 7. Also, did you see the the most recent thing that got posted about Ultima Thule? Mm-mm. So have you been keeping up? Have, have I been helping uh, nope. to talk about? No, nope. okay. tell me. So I talked about this multiple episodes ago. But like, I talk, uh, going to the flyby for Ultima Thule, which um, was done by the New Horizons spacecraft, which is a spacecraft that flew by Pluto a couple years ago. Um, and it was now um, going to fly by this object because they don't know how to classify it exactly. It's not an asteroid. Mm. It's not a planet. It's not even really a microplanet. It's an object that they're flying by. And they called it Ultima Thule. And um, when we did the flyby, we found out it, they, they, they couldn't tell. They thought it because they, they could see it was like a, a circle and a bigger circle. And they were like, well, is it one thing that's oddly shaped? Is it two things close together and we just can't see in between them? Is it blah, blah, blah. Um, it looks like a little snowman or a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and from what they could see, so it's red. It's the most primitive object in space. And because it's so far away from the sun, it's like so cold that it's preserved kind of in a state um, from like the creation of our solar system, basically. That's what they think. Um, And I speak from a place of pure ignorance when I talk about it, but it's fucking exciting. We do that all the time. It was really nerdy to like be there and and be like so excited by all these these scientists talking about how fucking cool. Um, But anyway, so when they flew by, they realized that it was at 1.2 objects and they're now touching and they're connected. But the ring around the two of them is like lighter in color, which is why they could tell it was two objects at one point. But they didn't smash together. They came together very slowly over time. Like magnets. Like they were kind, kind of, of like their gravitational, their gravitational yeah, poles. That's what I'm thinking. Um, but so, but it also doesn't rotate like this way with the approaching camera. It's like it, it, it basically they couldn't ever see the other side of it. Hmm. Um, in in a conventional sense, it doesn't like really with, rotate. With a spherical planet. It okay. does, but in, a, in not in a, an orbit that we that's like Earth's orbit. Okay. Um, or rotation. But what they learn on the the the, the what just got released on the flyby images that came by from the back of Ultima Thule is that they're two completely different shapes. So like the small one is kind of like a walnut and then the large one is like a pancake. It's like a flat, flat, but we could only see the side of it. So it looked like a round, it looked spherical, but it's not. That's crazy. It's what, I don't know. Oh, that's so crazy. But anyway, Ultima Thule, man. That was that was so fun. I'm really glad that I got to go to that. God, yeah, we haven't really talked about that. Girl, what are you excited about? Um, Because we talked about Colette on the show, right? 
You know, Did we? we didn't. Okay, so we watched Colette Which after we, were super we recorded. Excited about. Yeah. But we didn't talk about it on the show. Um, but we were very, very excited about the movie Colette and the whole entire movie, even though it's doing it like critically, it's like getting really great reviews. We were all of us simultaneously yeah. without informing one another of our own opinions. Unimpressed. Oh, my God. So disappointed. Yeah. And it was just it was a movie about how a man influenced a woman. And they tried to advertise like that's fine, but that's not what they advertised it as. They advertised it as as Colette, like come breaking free of her oppressive husband and coming into her own as a writer, and that is not what the movie. No, posits. first of all, they glossed over the number of times he locked her in. He would lock her in rooms constantly. That was to her write, life, um, so that he could u- like use her writing as his own, and uh, but they only showed it one time, and it worked. Like that's the thing is that. Everything that she did that was con- quote unquote successful, he they made sure he had a hand in. Right, he had credit for leading it in some her way. that way. Yeah, or other some other form of like masculine um, influence in the movie. Yep. And then when and then it ended at a point that was very unsatisfying. Yep. And then when we looked up this woman's life, there was so much more like rich story to delve into that was fascinating about her life not just the fact that her first husband used her work and claimed it was his own but like you know she had an affair with her 16 year old stepson from her second husband (laughs) yeah and then when her husband found out he left her and then she was in an open relationship but she was also super bisexual like having relationships with women and then her third husband, she was like 52 and her third husband was 36 and he was Jewish during like the, the 1940s and he was imprisoned for being Jewish and she got him out of print. Like all this shit is super exciting and none of the shit they talked about. Yeah. No, they didn't. They didn't even hint at any of it. She had no agency in that movie. None. None. And even it was like she had a relationship with a very masculine presenting woman that they then were saying like she was like he and like changing the pronouns, which I'm not sure if that's actually what happened or if they were trying to superimpose some sort of like trans something like maybe that's what that that woman was going through or person was going through. But like, I don't think that's how because there was no frame of reference for that specifically in that era. Anyway, I, I digress. The point is, I watched the movie The Wife. Oh, okay. Which Glenn Close is nominated for an Oscar for that movie. I don't even. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have heard of this. And. Okay. And I'm that movie, I went into not really knowing what to expect. And so I parallel it because it's about it's about writing in a way. Like they're both about writing and relationships with husbands who are writers. And but the wife gave me a lot that I felt was missing from it's weird for me to compare mm. the two because it, they really I don't think so they're really very different but it was such a satisfying movie and it was so fucking good and oh my god Glenn Close is amazing okay and, I had no idea and it was I just I couldn't I was just like floored by that movie Okay. Floor. Fuck yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I was so excited about this Colette because it was yeah. marketed. It was marketed as a movie for for me. Right. And it wasn't a movie for me. No, yeah. But The Wife sure as shit was. Oh my God. Anything to watch, wash uh, the taste of Colette out of my mouth. You got to watch it. All right. You got to watch it. Done. But I love knowing, I just, I love knowing that there are two movies about female writers and their fucking husbands. Uh, that came out this year and are are nominated for Oscars in some capacity. Sort of. Well, I mean... In some capacity. Mm-hmm. And one actually satisfies 
what the other did not. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel good because it means I can go watch it and get what I didn't get from Colette. Yes. So. You sure can. Thank you. You're welcome. Follow us on social media, GWBB Podcast, on pretty much every form of social media you can think of. Uh, email us. Rate, review, subscribe if you haven't. If you're listening and you haven't subscribed, like that would be a super helpful yeah. thing. Um, become our patron if you want on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Yep. Um, we'll shout you out. Hell yeah. And you get a pin. I think we're still on once that. We, once we get 10 patrons, we are going to start sending out the pins that we promise. So if you want a cool pin, either a good witch pin or a bad bitch pin. Right. Um, or both, if you are so inclined, um, be a, become our patron. Fuck yeah. Because they're great. They're basically, it's like half our logo. Yeah. So each one, you, you, if you, if you are, become a, a good witch patron, then you get our good witch logo pin. And if you are a bad bitch patron, then you get our bad bitch logo pin. Yeah. And they're really great. Fuck yeah. So yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, do that. And otherwise, enjoy the Oscars and have a good week. And we'll see you next week. Peace out, witches. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.